Hi, and welcome to another podcast from The Human Diver, where we are looking to apply counter-errorism techniques in diving. By that we mean human factors and non-technical skills. Our goal is to give you the knowledge and skills so that your dives are safer and more enjoyable. The podcast is a mixture of short podcasts based on the blogs we have, and longer podcasts, which will be interviews or discussion topics. Show notes will be provided so you can dig deeper if you want. Ready to jump in? An experienced cave diver, cave CCR, cave DPV, full cave and side mount cave qualified, undertakes what was planned to be a relatively simple open circuit side mount dive for them. Go into the cenote, drop the oxygen deco cylinder at six meters, 20 feet, scooter several thousand feet back into the cave, drop the bottom stage, scooter some more, photo shoot, and then return along the same route. They had executed similar dives without an issue in the past. This time it ended differently. They ended the dive with their left side mount cylinder almost empty, their right side mount cylinder half full, and their bottom stage one third full. They thought that they had run out of gas in the bottom stage and thought they had been balancing their side mount rig, so thought the right side mount cylinder was also close to empty when they saw their left cylinder only had less than 10 bars, 100 psi, in it. They had no idea that the situation had developed in the manner it did until they were completing their oxygen deco and started to think back over the dive and take stock of their equipment. Why is it that the obvious isn't obvious at the time when something is going wrong, but it is afterwards? Why is it we forget basic tasks or skills when they should be executed without error? Even more importantly for divers, why is it that our concentration and performance are reduced when we are underwater? There are some very good reasons for this, and that is what this blog is about. This article looks at some of the physiological and cognitive reasons why we don't necessarily perform as we should as divers, especially when underwater. How much mental capacity do we have? There is no easy way to describe how much capacity we have. Internally, we should consider how the skills, strategies, and expertise that the diver has allow them to notice what is going on, what is going to happen, and what to do to make sure the outcome is what we expect and or want it to be. This might be considered the ability to have good situation awareness, but it is slightly different. How these skills, strategies, and expertise are applied is sometimes considered workload. We also have to consider both physical and cognitive task loads. Task load is a measurement of human performance that broadly refers to the levels of difficulty that a diver encounters when executing a task. For diving, we are interested more in cognitive task load than physical task load. However, high levels of physical task load can impact cognitive functions as carbon dioxide can build up. And this has an impact on cognitive function. Cognitive task load is based on three factors. Time taken to complete the task, level of information processing, and the number of task switches needed. Time refers to the amount of time that is allocated for task completion. The level of information processing is made up of automatic processes, skills, routine problem solving, rules, and the more complex analysis of information to generate strategies, knowledge. Task switching occurs when components of a task have competing goals. There is also a loss in performance when we switch between tasks. Finally, we also have to consider our background cognitive loading. This is the emotional or cognitive stuff you bring with you to the pre-dive and dive. It might be a fight with a family member or close friend, it might be financial worries, it might be a broken piece of dive gear that is expensive and needs replacing, 
it might be about delayed flights, it might be the instructor check that is going on now, etc. Anything that takes up mental space in your head, you might be able to drop all of this when you get in the water, but when you're on the surface, you might not. The contributory factors leading to the death of Carl Spencer appear to be heavily influenced by cognitive loading. There are two analogies that might help to get this point across. Juggling. One analogy considers our working memory. This is used to hold temporary information that is going to be used in the next few seconds to a few minutes. Think about remembering a telephone number, street directions, the next stop on decompression, and the navigation route through the wreck. Our working memory is like your mental scratch pad or RAM in a computer. It has limited capacity though, and is limited to an approximate value of seven plus or minus two elements or chunks of information, not just individual numbers. Note, an element or chunk might be made up of a number of different things or chunks that we intuitively know what to do because they are heavily practiced and we have patterns to match. You could liken this to a juggler holding seven balls, one for each of the elements, as a new task or ball comes in, the juggler might have to drop a ball because he might not be able to handle more than seven, depending on their skills, knowledge, and competence. In some cases, the juggler can choose which ball to drop, delegation. In others, one of the balls gets dropped without realizing it because in their mind, the seven slots are still full and everything is okay. Buckets of water. Another analogy is that of a bucket which is being filled up with water. The water represents things that must be dealt with, once the bucket fills to the top, water overflows, and this represents tasks or information being missed. If the bucket is full, we can't add more to it, or we can, but other stuff flows out. Different people have different size buckets based on their knowledge, skills, and competence. They also have different experiences to make sure they can empty the bucket under control. In both cases, experts can deal with more balls or water. How they've done it, through perfect practice, which involves feedback and reflection, means they are able to notice the important things in the scene and ignore the apparently irrelevant factors, moving the practiced activities to unconscious competence. They just do it and it is hard to get them to explain how they do it. Just being submerged impacts our performance. So we have seven balls to subconsciously play with. What happens when we go diving? We are not designed to live underwater. Being submerged can cause many psychological and physiological stresses which reduce our cognitive performance or thinking power. You don't have to be doing anything to have a reduced amount of mental performance. Research by DeLakey and colleagues in 2012 showed that individuals who were submerged in a five meter pool and were subject to simple cognitive tasks showed a reduction in cognitive performance of approximately 10% and a reduction in fine motor coordination between 24 and 50%. There is a saying that people leave part of their brains on the boat or the shore when they get in the water that is metaphorically true. You have reduced cognitive capacity and physical coordination by just being submerged. If we think back to the juggling analogy, one of those balls is now filled up with mental stimulation from being in the water. Despite having seven balls, this reduction in performance means we only have six balls available for task load and workload. In the analogy of the bucket, it could be the bottom 10% of the bucket already has water in it, or we've reduced the size of the bucket by 10%. Given this situation, we need to recognize this reduced performance and either increase our competence through practice and feedback or reduce the complexity of the activity we are doing. Note, just because you are able to do skills and activities in a controlled environment like a pool or confined water, it doesn't mean they will be at the same level of competence 
when the real world is encountered when there are more stimuli and you will face environments where you have no patterns to match. The same problem applies with instructor development. Using fellow instructor candidates as students has little resemblance to your class environment when you are dealing with live students and their variabilities. It is quite easy to be task focused on a single student without realizing the big picture. As well as task loading, we also have to consider the impact of physiological changes caused by immersion and breathing compressed gases. We know that nitrogen is narcotic, having a noticeable effect at around 30 meters, 100 feet. Oxygen was thought to be narcotic, but recent research has shown that may not to be the case. Carbon dioxide is known to be narcotic too. The latter is important because air is relatively dense below 30 meters, 100 feet, which means more carbon dioxide is being produced as well as being subject to the normal nitrogen narcosis. While the research shows that motor skills are not impacted too much by narcosis, higher cognitive functions like problem solving are negatively impacted. Consequently, while you might be able to execute a shutdown drill on command, are you able to problem solve and recognize the situation developing in the manner it does in a timely manner? The same issue applies when problem solving on a CCCR when you are breathing a dense gas. So what happened on the opening dive? There were multiple minor issues on the dive that led to the diver having the inability to focus on the bigger issues developing. There was an equipment configuration problem that was easily fixed at the start of the dive, but left residual, how stupid was that? Thoughts running through their head. There were social pressures, which made it harder to thumb the dive or at least slow it down. A fumbled gas switch while on the scooter on the way back led to more cognitive loading and them switching to their left side mount cylinder because they thought their bottom stage was empty. They made an assumption that the side mount cylinders were being switched. And so when the left side mount cylinder was checked at the end, the assumption was that because that cylinder was nearly empty, the right one must have been too. These failures are down to normal human behaviors. What was different was the specific context in which the dive took place. More training or being told you shouldn't have done that is never going to solve the problem of a competent person falling foul of the context, driving their behavior, because the training very rarely includes these sorts of cognitive failure modes. Summary. We have a finite capacity when it comes to dealing with information, coming in and processing it. Errors are normal. It is the ability to be resilient when failures are encountered that allows us to move from a catastrophic outcome to an almost happened near miss. We were good, not lucky. More on the different types of near misses and luck next week. As always, when looking at adverse events, look to understand the local rationality of those involved. How did it make sense? Was their brain full so that even if the information was in front of them, they wouldn't recognize it for what it was? Did they even know the patterns to match to know what was in front of them and its significance? Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more about what was discussed in this episode, head over to the Human Diver website at thehumandiver.com where you will find details about our education programs, the If Only documentary, the book Under Pressure, and the many, many blogs we have published there. If you think others should listen and learn, consider sharing the link. Thank you.